podcast within a podcast pottering around the single malt whiskey drinking horses of Mangum Reeds. We are three muggles, at least one of whom goes into full McGonagall mode when her parents are coming into town. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? Sarah, I would have a very different impression of you if you ever said those kind of things to Neville. I don't think it's in you to say that kind of thing to Neville. But I think it, Spencer. I think it. <laughs> There's a difference, though. Well, there's some days that are tense days where, you know, things pop out that you don't mean to say to, you mean them, but you don't mean to say to the person. Mm -hmm. It just happens. Just because I yelled at you last week, BJ, does not mean that you need to air your grievances on pod. I don't even know the circumstances, but my default reaction is, well, he deserved it. Just explain how. Oh, perfect. This means I've lived my life correctly. Um, So we are on chapter, what number chapter are we on? Fifteen. Fifteen. Fifteen of Harry Potter and the Goblet and Fire, Bobaton and Durmstrang. We are getting the much-talked-about other schools of the wizarding community um, in Mm -hmm. all of their showy entrance glory. So we have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid-fire recap, uh, BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer, we award house points, and uh, then there are questions and queries, qualms, quibbles... (laughs) Quotients. A lot of cues. Yes. Um, are we ready for the recap? Uh, assuming you are. Um, this is a bit of another odd duck. Of where we're jumping around a lot in terms of where we're ultimately going to end up. Do you have a guess how long this is going to take? Or are you just going for the two yeah, minutes? Yeah, it's a it's a weird chapter because there are a lot of different scenes. Although, like, and we get somewhere by the end of it, but not a lot happens in the chapter. No. I was, I was flipping back through it. I practically skipped in the fifth latter half, like four or five pages of where it was just like, and they're coming, and they're coming, and they're yes, there. Okay. Yes. Um, there's a lot of time spent in the Great Hall during this chapter. Um, Wait, Spencer, I thought you'd love this. This is very Tolkien-esque. Oh, I enjoyed it. I'm just, I, I, I'm sympathizing with how, how the hell you recap it. Um, well, there will be much skimming, I think. But I actually, I will put in a bet. I think I'm going to bet one minute... And 53 mm-hmm. seconds. Precise. All right. With five seconds on either mm-hmm. side, the timer is ready. Are you? <clears throat> Harry sends a letter to Sirius, desperately trying to get him to stay away, and heads to the Owlery to send it slash apologize to Hedwig, who is not amused. Neither is Hermione, who tells Harry off for lying to Sirius about imagining his scar hurting. A convenient distraction comes from a series of lessons from Moody that involve him putting the Imperius curse on them to teach them to fight it. Hermione's protests nearly get her thrown out of class, which is not the outcome she's looking for. Moody's got the class doing all kinds of nutty things, but when it's Harry's turn, there's a small voice of resistance that sends him careening into a desk rather than jumping on top of it, which delights Moody. There has also been a general uptick in their work level in preparation for their OWLS next year. Um, Even Hagrid has assigned extra sessions to care for the scroots. Finally, a sign appears in the Great Hall that uh, the delegations for the Triwizard Tournament are arriving at the end of October, causing a new rash of speculation about who's entering, top odds or for Cedric Diggory. The announcement has also put the teachers and Filch on edge. As the day arrives, we are reminded that Fred and George have some plan in the works. Hermione reveals that the tournament tasks are judged by a panel composed of the heads of the schools, although this sends her on a tirade about house elves, which is not a, who are not at all mentioned in her Bible, Hogwarts, a history. 
Harry and Ron have been uh, going along with Spew, but not enthusiastically. No one else has been enthusiastic either. Fred and George think they're happy in the kitchens. As they, um, as they argue, Harry receives a letter from Sirius, who is not buying his shit, is back in the country, and wants updates. Finally, it's time for the arrival of Durmstrang and Bobaton. They have just realized that no one, uh, no one knows how they're supposed to arrive when a giant powder blue horse-drawn carriage arrives flying through the air, skidding to a stop on the grounds. A haggard-sized woman emerges from the carriage at the head of the Bobaton's delegation. This is Madame Maxime. They're headed inside when she remembers her horses. Hagrid is to feed them only single malt whiskey. The Hogwarts students are left outside to wait for Durmstrang. A magnificent ship emerges from a whirlpool in the lake before lowering a plank to shore. The delegation disembarks, led by a Professor Karkarov. In the group of students, however, is Victor Crumb. Aha. Uh-huh. I think you got, what, exactly 153, Yes. Right on time. Perfect. Well All done. All right. Um... I, I, we were supposed to start sending these chapter summaries through committee. Do these? Does it pass? I, yeah, that was that was well done. You hit, you hit all the points you needed yeah, to do that. Yeah, I, I think this was a good one. Thank you, Spencer. I was not worried about you. I was worried about BJ. <laughs> <laughs> the Hufflepuff House is always going to endorse your efforts and success. Did we get a snack? Sometimes yes. might demand snacks, though. <laughs> you showed up. You have a drink. Winner. Perfect. Um, BJ, what are you wheezing about this chapter? The first thing I'm going to wheeze about is what they do with the owls. Okay. If the description of the owlry, um, you get a bit about what it is and where it is and how drafty it is. And then the next sentence is the floor was entirely covered in straw, (laughs) owl droppings, and the regurgitated skeletons of mice and voles. What? Go ahead. Hundreds upon hundreds of owls of every breed imaginable were nestled here on the perches that rose right up into the tower, nearly all of them asleep, though, you know, we have some that that are glaring at Harry. So I'm a little disappointed that of all of the places that they're not using house elves, apparently, (laughs) cleaning out the owlery on a regular basis because that's hilariously gross. And there's clearly a pandemic that is about to start because not only are they housed together, but they're going all over the place to deliver wizard mail. Uh, two, two questions, BJ. One, is this your wheeze or is this your girlfriend's wheeze? It is my wheeze. <laughs> um, two, are um, we entirely sure that house elves wouldn't be attacked by owls? This is what I was going to say. Yes. They are tiny creatures, and these are, you know, high-level predators. Yes. Bad things could happen. That, that is true, and we do get that there are only mice and voles, not... It, there, not house elves skeletons. Years, you know, decades and decades ago, when the school was probably first established, there were just house elves in the, the owl pellets, and even, you know, the elder wizards were like, yeah, this is probably... Not okay. <laughs> now I'm remembering like middle school science classes where we had to dissect the owl pellets and what would happen mm-hmm. if there were house elf skeletons in them. <laughs> Although Hogwarts that... could have a pretty nifty side business selling the owl pellets to like local school systems. However, they do that sort of supply chain. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's how they fund Filch's position. I was going to say, and maybe that's why house elves weren't uh, in the the Hogwarts Bible because that was... Most of what happened to them up until a little bit more recent reforms. None made it to retirement. There was a constant turnover, so no one, none got added to the records. Um, we're going to continue with um, some interesting things that happen in uh, Transmutation um, that oh, I think was hinted at figured, back in the day. Figured you'd bring this up. Um, turning hedgehogs into pincushions um, because... One of them didn't do so well when they went to stick it with a pin, 
do they take the pins out or do those become quills? Unclear, but also a little hmm, questionable. This is this is not a good chapter for the like creature treatment. I mean, I will say that um, while the proof might be in question, giving horses alcohol is not an uncommon thing. Almost all horses like beer and soda, and you know, some are in love with fizzy drinks in general, and beer is basically what they eat with a little bit of alcohol. Um, but. High proof like that might be a little bit more questionable. Well, they um, are French horses, so they're probably fine. Uh, and, well, and, and they are as big as elephants. <laughs> well, but the the other thing that, that I would complain there is brandy would make a lot more sense yes. than mm. uh, single malt scotch. But, well, maybe you know, they're just a, like a trying to adapt to the Scottish setting. <laughs> Very possibly. <laughs> They're trying to improve their hardy constitution as they're going into what is apparently a very dis- despised climate <laughs> for these people. Yes. So, lastly, I have a sentence for you, Sarah. Mm. And and as you're um, so want to do, I, I just want you to really enjoy this one. Okay. I am um, a lover of language, BJ. You know this. I, I know you are a lover of language. Um, I don't know that J.K. Rowling is. Especially the English language. So this is uh, actually where Durmstrang basically shows up. Okay. Mm-hmm. The three front rows of students drew backward as the carriage hurtled e- ever lower, coming in to land at a tremendous speed. Then, with an almighty crash that made Neville jump backward onto a Slytherin fifth year's foot, the horse's hooves, larger than dinner plates, hit the ground. Sorry, that's Bobatons, isn't it? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I got there, though. Hmm. So, I have questions about this sentence. Mm-hmm. Mostly why. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, I think that sort of the most interesting, one of the interesting things, maybe not the most interesting thing, of is the onto a Slytherin fifth year's foot. Because it's like your year in school is way less important than the house. And it's just like a very odd uh, way to look at it. Um, the hypothesis that I got, um, was this is the order in which Neville is afraid of things. <laughs> Slytherin and then fifth year. Slytherin, then fifth year, then horse. That, uh, I think that tracks. I think that's right. <laughs> um, but sort of everything else about this sentence is just, it, it's a doozy. Um, yeah, while you have been, I, you have been able to diagram Neville's fears, diagramming the sentence would be a real nightmare. So, yep. I I kind of want to go back to all of the English professors or teachers in like middle school and high school that had quibbles and qualms and questions about sentences that I would write and then point to published literature like this and be like, nothing that I have ever written has been like this. Mm -hmm. And if you ever write that's a tortuous sentence on my papers again, I'm going (laughs) to find other examples and torture you with them. I mean, looking looking through this chapter, BJ, I figured there'd be a few things that would set you off. This is one of the most aggressive dash chapters we've had in a while. There I've, are just... I, I said last time, <laughs> or, or whatever, I think it was last book, that I'm not going to continue remarking on punctuation <laughs> because it is a consistent and constant problem. Ah. I have to say, as and I think I've mentioned this before, but as like a big personal fan of the M-Dash, I respect these choices. <laughs> 
I never know what to make of an M-dash. It just doesn't factor into enough of my, you know, usual repertoire. I'm never sure what I'm supposed to convey out of it. Is this a stand-in for a semicolon? Is this a stand-in for a comma? I don't view it as its own thing. I think I, it I is. Think what you're... It's a, it's a, it's a semicolon with Elon. Hmm. Hmm. I was going to say, right. you know, it's a little bit uh, more drawn out than an M-dash. <laughs> okay, BJ, are you done? <laughs> I mean, in, in this specific ways, yes. I, I know you're never done. The pain will continue. Newbie's notes, then? Uh, yes, newbie's notes. All right. Th- this chapter just starts off hit me and hit me hard. God damn it, Harry. Damn it all to hell. You woke up your day with this shit. You went to sleep and woke up with fresh ideas about how you could once again try to not derail the plot. You're not stopping the plot, Harry. The plot is coming but to real any hope at your own protection and surviving it. Or anybody else surviving it, for that matter, too. So the question is, do, is Harry aware that he has plot armor? I would assume <laughs> no. The universe would implode if any character was aware of their own plot armor. It'd become parody at that point. Somebody needs to write a fantasy book where there is literal armor that, that is, like, called plot <laughs> armor. And while they are wearing it, they, they are unable to be harmed. That's a thought that's going to fester. I was very much amused that Harry's letter had no value whatsoever in terms of influencing Sirius to do anything different. No, he didn't even address it. Harry can't, he did not Harry even address can't it. influence Sirius. Sirius just does what Sirius is going to do. Probably, at least in this moment, for the better. I, I, just, I just love that Sirius didn't even feel the need to acknowledge <laughs> a single statement in the letter. Didn't even, acted like he didn't even receive it mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, BJ, like you said with the Owlry, I enjoyed the Owlry just because this is apparently the one place in Hogwarts that owls are allowed to do owl things. Of where we've talked before that the owls don't behave very owl-like when they're on, when they're on the, you know, working on their, their students and masters time. Mm-hmm. But this is a place where the owls can be aggressively owlish. Yeah, they're all, they're all clustered up. It's an obvious Owlry. There's pellets <laughs> everywhere. It's like, this is all the concentrated owl matter of Hogwarts in one place. And it's real gross. It's real gross. Owls, I love them. They're gorgeous <laughs> creatures. They are real gross damn things. I think the other thing that I really like is it seems like, I guess since they're not really magical, Hagrid is just like, oh, hell no. I'm <laughs> not dealing with that. Those are regular creatures. I care about magical creatures. I mean, they're associated with wizards enough that they can find wizards, but we are not saying that they are magical. There is no way in hell that I am taking care of those barely magical things. It also brought up images in my mind of the uh, the Secret of Nim, one of my favorite childhood cartoons. Mm-hmm. But just the idea of the great the great owl with yes. you know pellets with pellets and bones scattered around like some great like some massive dragon cobwebs all over him. It was the image that this brought to mind, and that tickled me. So the other thing that I want everybody to realize is how obnoxiously loud owls are. <laughs> and this many owls, there is no way oh that the gosh. students could sleep. <laughs> well, to be fair, we have no evidence that they sleep with these, but they do at least have access to those mandrake muting earmuffs. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh. We don't see that they are sleeping with them, but there is no way that Hogwarts is not filled with hoots all hours of the night. As a like a big proponent of sleeping with earplugs myself, those mandrake muting earmuffs seem excellent, and I would like to know where I can get a pair of those. I think they're 
called Bose. <laughs> yeah, Bose noise canceling. <laughs> Perfect. Secretly a wizard invention. Uh, I'm disappointed to see that Harry is sticking to using basically a stick rather than a carrot to deal with his own owl. I'm like, this man could have brought the treats that he denied his owl earlier to persuade further action. He had many ways that he could, you know, butter the owl up. Instead, going off just kind of brushing, physically brushing the owl aside previously, now he's gone to mind games. It's like, oh, if you won't do it, maybe Pigwidgeon will. You know, he's a great owl, maybe a much better deliverer than you are. It's like, Harry, don't be a dick. I mean, you got to take these white nationalists down a notch. So, like, I understand that you usually you just want to reinforce good behavior, but just, so, conf- you know, sometimes you just, you, you need to use the stick. I'm very much confused here. You've previously portrayed both Harry and his owl as white nationalists. Are you proposing some kind of civil war between them now? Is this where your little, your fan fiction scenario is going? So I don't think Harry's a white nationalist. He's just a jock that doesn't care about other people. You know, Uh, he hasn't, I mean, Pigwidgeon might be his segue into like full blown, like white power you know, maybe he'll have a white hood instead of a hood with blue stars or something. But, you know, we'll have to see where, where the series ends up going. But Pig, but uh, not Pigwidgeon, sorry. Hedwig is clearly really far into the, you know, complete racist, obviously doesn't like other owls, you know, probably steals their food. Just other nasty things just, you know, because she's white and she can, apparently. Sarah, have you ever noticed you get a thousand mile stare whenever BJ starts going on that tangent? I was just thinking about Hedwig drinking orange juice and trying to figure out if this plays into the narrative in some way. <laughs> um, moving on. Uh, one thing I really liked about the Imperius Curse scene is how revealing it was about Moody's hidden psychology. Is that there are many ways that he could have just played this out about, okay, lift your arm, lift your arm, can't stop lifting your arms, fine. No, no, no. He has them do jumping jacks and recite the national anthem. This is a man who has a deeply repressed sense of fun. <laughs> Well, this is, it is buried under. This is mm-hmm. Moody is in this moment, sort of the bad trip of Lupin's Boggart exercise. Mm-hmm. It's just so, a I, measure I, of degrees. Yeah. So I would also say, like, I think that what he's doing is out there enough, so they might resist. I guess that's how sure. I would take mm-hmm. it because mm-hmm. it's like if, if they're just like you moving, their, it off. you know, flapping their arms around. It's like, well, this is uncomfortable, but like. It isn't something that I don't want to do because I'm embarrassed in front of other people or whatever else. And I feel like he's not taking it too far. Yeah, it's easier to get, kind of as we get described with Harry, that self-narrative of like, well, this is actually stupid. As opposed to Mm -hmm. something that might play into some, like, hidden repressed urge that you have. Sure. They they can't write this off as just plain hypnosis. Yes. We're not you're, you're not trying to appeal to the crowd or have a certain measure of peer pressure. This is outside enough of the norm that okay, this is merits merits attention. Mm-hmm. I like the I like the description of the feeling you have when you're on it though. A vague untraceable happiness. It's that feeling of just losing control of being divorced from responsibility. And I I like that way of describing how the Pierce Kurtz affects the psychology. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I really enjoy that there's a certain implication here that Harry is just so stupidly contrary and stubborn that that's that aspect of his personality which is resisting. Is that this is this is not necessarily just a strong force of will. This is Harry being Harry, and it just factors well into how this works. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Harry also being Harry, I love that after they all basically have a conversation of, man, he's really acting like we're really all going to need this real soon. Like it's incredibly important. Like we could be attacked any day now. Dot dot dot. <laughs> 
Man, what a weird guy. I, I just can't, I can't, I, I can't put together any two and two <laughs> as to why he would be doing that. And there's me to just move my jaw up and just shake my head saying, man, the Darwin Awards would be awarded wholesale with this school sometimes there. Uh, what, BJ reference to you said, what is, can trans can transfiguration transportation? I forget what it is that McConaughey does. I think it's transfiguration. Uh, transfiguration. Can it be done without fuzzy creatures? Are fuzzy creatures the only means to an end for transfiguration? Because we've previously had mice, we now have hedgehogs, and we also have a discussion off camera of raccoons. Ferrets. <laughs> uh, we saw a guy turned into a ferret. This is true. Does it only work fuzzy to not fuzzy? Uh, no. There's a tortoise a to a teapot. This is true. You found you found the example. There is just a tendency towards using fuzzy creatures for various household <laughs> items. To the degree that you can say a snuff box is household. I think you have to you, to train your students to not care about these creatures. I, I think you also John. need to have a joke in there because, like, you know, because mice sniffle, you know, sniff around, so it's a snuff box. I, I think this is the. It, there needs to be a vague pun involved. Give, give me the raccoon pun, please. That was the one they didn't tell us. What were they transfiguring uh, the raccoons into? They did, oh, they just they didn't said tell they were us. transfiguring they just... raccoons, didn't they? Hmm. I mean, yeah, probably trash bins. <laughs> and this is why the yes. ones Moody attacked were so angry. <laughs> <laughs> they were originally raccoons at one point. <laughs> Man, is that raccoon heaven or hell to be transfigured <laughs> into a trash bin? I'm not sure. I think it might be purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also, in terms of people being aggressively themselves, god damn, Snape, your final exam will be me testing your poison <laughs> on you, t- testing your antidote on you to see whether it works. Jesus, dude. <laughs> Liability concerns be damned at Hogwarts. I mean, it depends what the poison does, but... Uh, knowing him, lethal to not only you, <laughs> but your immediate cousins. I mean, but... <laughs> yes, this is Snape being Snape, but we also have gotten a lot of other things that. Well, if you do don't do it right, you could die. Um, we'll see. Yeah, and yeah. Let's factor that in. That's the background norm. A, a basic level of death involves you getting Cheerios in the morning at Hogwarts. <laughs> now consider what Snape views as a reasonable year end, a reasonable mid-year exam. Uh, I really am amused to see that the uh, Moody Hag- the Moody uh, teaching technique has now become more widespread, and seeing Hagrid tell off Malfoy to his face is just a joy moment in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Any teacher saying this to Malfoy would be great, but Hagrid is just concentrated bliss. I mean, a post Buckbeak Hagrid telling Malfoy off yes. delightful. Absolutely. Uh, as I- mentioned earlier, McGonagall. What the hell? It's fine. To Neville's face in front of a class? That was just so mean. I was going to say, I feel like we really missed out on the most British thing possible with Hagrid waving around his umbrella to cast a spell at Neville. Hopefully we'll uh, get, or not Neville, uh, at, at uh, Malfoy. Malfoy, yeah. Uh, uh, but hopefully we'll get that in the future. A thing occurred to me also through this chapter is that I previously explained that while Ron's position with respect to house elves, while, you know, reasonably subject to condemnation, is understandable. He's grown up in this school, he's got a background in it, he's had no reason to believe this is in any way harmful. And I suddenly came to the realization that Harry does not have any of that excuse. In fact, he has a personal connection with house elves that all the other people lack. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Harry's just utterly indifferent to their plight and outright dismissive of Hermione's efforts to bring this to light when he knows better than anybody the shit they go through 
is really not a good read on his character. Like, no, it's a like it can't be bothered moment. It is a weird can't be bothered moment because he knows better than anybody yes. how outright abusive this practice can be. But he's just like, eh, you know. I'm really worried about the fact that I haven't had Quidditch this year. This feels like real high school. I'm not going to care about this because it might be embarrassing to care about this because Hermione is presenting this in an embarrassing way. Hermione doesn't know how to present it, but in an embarrassing way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Question for you both. We have discussed in this chapter, brought it back up again, that when wizards come together, it is all about who can do the most elaborate presentation, Mm -hmm. who can do the most incredible exercise of, you know, razzle-dazzle we have three schools here. One apparently just doesn't, doesn't even try. Hogwarts apparently had nothing prepared in response to this, you know, wizarding <laughs> show-off moment. So I think they're obviously the loser. But between Bobatons and I, Durmstrang, mm-hmm. who won in terms of pre, in, in terms of uh, wiz, wizarding show-off moment here? I think it's Bobaton all the way. Ex- explain yourself. Yeah, when coming in through the sky with these horses, it's really the horses that get me. <laughs> The Palominos, the size, the size of elephants. Yeah, as someone who sort of like comes from St. Louis and is very into the Clydesdales, like this speaks deep to my soul. Um, but no, I think there the carriage coming in through the sky. I am, I am very in with the horses. I am very in, and like Madame Maxime, just as a person in the world, I think mm-hmm. that she lends her own gravitas to the situation. Um, I am into the Bobaton presentation. Bija. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Up until we basically have a pond that a massive ship comes out of. It's a lake. <laughs> okay. I don't know that this changes the argument. I mean, it's definitely but not I just a need lake. you to it, know it's, it's a lake. It's probably a. Well, it's almost definitely a lock. It might but... be a lock. There is a it giant a lock, squid that may or may not present as the Loch Ness monster. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, I mean, I I guess it it's a. Like, it's sort of like a muted power kind of thing versus very showy. Um, yes. I just I really want true. there to be, like, cannons and, and just, like, a full-on jolly, like, massive Jolly Roger that they roll <laughs> up in. I, like, I know that's not how it's depicted, but that's kind of... Or, or even, like, a, a Spanish Man of War. Mm. Um, just a like... Galleon? Hmm? A proper galleon? Yes. I don't think they can call it a galleon because galleons are money in this world. True, that would be confusing. Now, I mean, it, it, the way it's described, it's practically the Flying Dutchman in terms of how, how it's depicted coming out of the coming out of the water. I, I'm with you that overall, I think Bobatons wins. Except apparent, I love the image of you know Maxine walks out and she is just grace. She is dominating the scene. What does she refer to Dumbledore as? Dumbledore. Yes. Dumbledore. <laughs> but the, after. Everyone then suddenly looks behind her, and there's her collection of just freezing, concussed children that are behind her. It's just like, that landing was apparently rough, it's cold, they don't want to be here. And I think they lose a couple points there, because the kids were just not on the same page when it came to the presentation moment. <laughs> yeah. It, it's enough. like, there was, there was only one seatbelt, and it was for one massive person. <laughs> there were just giant <laughs> ping-pong balls around that carriage. I mean, it's very much like a school bus. So yeah, did they did they come in on the magic school bus? Is Madame Maxime Mrs. Frizzle oh, <laughs> unclear? There's a there's a side story I want to see now. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure there is fan fiction about Ms. Frizzle and uh, Hogwarts. Oh boy, enough from me. Um, 
I'm curious now that we've left that point. Sarah, who won and who lost this chapter? Guys, I'm going to need some help with the house points this chapter. Go on. So I was going to say, I do think Neville had a bad day. Mm-hmm. We only get him for a second. Mm-hmm. We also have... Um, Malfoy's got to be up there for I was going to say, yeah, Malfoy has has a bad day, and Hagrid has a good day because Malfoy has a bad day. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Harry's possi- Harry's chances of ultimate survival didn't have a good run at the start, at least the start of this chapter. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't have a bad day. He just is Harry. He, yeah, he He's just, just sort of wandered around. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, other than ones you mentioned, not many people have necessarily good or bad days. Maxine just, I don't know if she factors in, but she had a hell of an appearance. <laughs> she did day. have a hell of an just appearance. Showing yeah. up the scene. Um,. Yeah, that's that's true. Filch seemed to just be mad in the world, which is unclear if that's a good or a bad day. I mean, he made two first day. years. He, he reduced two first years to sobbing hysterics. Oh, For him, that's day, just yeah. got to be a great day. Yeah. Um, I feel like we don't necessarily get enough of Malfoy's reaction to Hagrid for him to be the loser. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like we know enough about Neville to know how crushing this moment mm-hmm. with McGonagall is. Yeah. Sometimes it does, in these chapters where it is not clear where there is a winner or a loser, it does occasionally feel like a cop-out to assign loser to Neville. <laughs> well, no, no, one, no one really factored that much above the norm. Okay, it's sad sack, you automatically win. I would also point out that like, it is possible that Snape had the best day because he got to mm-hmm. threaten students actively. Mm. Well, but that's it's part of his job. Yeah, um, fairly normal. But you know what? I think actually... Although we don't get much description of him, this might be a little sort of off text in just my imagining of what's going on in the situation. Uh, but Dumbledore welcoming these other schools to Hogwarts seems like it might have been an excellent moment for him. He seemed very okay. excited. That's true. Yeah. In terms of raw enjoyment, that is a special once in a lifetime kind of thing for him. So this, is, this, is, this has literally not happened in hundreds of mm-hmm. years, right? Mm-hmm. Which. All the more confuses me that he basically did no amount of wizarding show-off prep. Is this just a showing of confidence on his part, or he just can't be bothered to factor into those games? I think it's a little of column A, a little of column B. They also do have the feast coming up, um, yeah. which is hosted by Hogwarts, time, so, so there, is, there, there is time. I, you know, um, uh, I've got actually a recommendation for who may be the loser. Please. Hedwig. Sea Monster had bad day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, our giant squid in the lake. A giant whirlpool <laughs> fill, formed without any prior warning in the middle of his home, and a giant fuck-off ship came flying out. I'm I'm down with that. I will I will do that. And actually, that seems like a great pairing. I do believe that the giant squid and Dumbledore have a very special connection to each other. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna talk later. Yeah. They, they they share they share drinks with the hat with the sorting hat every day. There will be a, there will be a de- debrief. It is. It is the Dumbledore, the giant squid, the sorting hat, and fox. <laughs> With crookshanks every now and then coming into play cards. Oh, perfect. This is the fanfic that I want in the world. <laughs> this is the council. This is the secret dark council that actually runs Hogwarts. Perfect. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. That's, that's good. That's good for me. Okay. Questions? Yes. Go ahead, Spencer. Can you tell me what the hell Crumb is doing there? Uh, he, well, he is a Durmstrang student. This is the question that I was just, I figured, but I was baffled. Mm-hmm. This guy's on a national team, but is also a high school mm-hmm. student? Yeah. How normal is that? Is he just It's just him. <laughs> He's the only one it, doing this. He, he doesn't get paid, things. and they can use his likeness in... Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, God, it's college sports. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but no, he, he is the only 2K one. He is 20. He is very much a student, um, but he is he is also the seeker on the Bulgarian national team. Which is surprisingly good. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. How, okay. So is Harry not that good at Quidditch, or does the UK team just not care? I feel like the, the UK team has different rules regarding whether or not you can simultaneously be <laughs> taking potions and playing on their team. I'm just also now seeing Crumb as being the the high schooler they ever now and then see that looks like he's four, like looks like he's twenty going on forty. Mm-hmm. He just mm-hmm. has no physical reason being there other than that he totally is like seventeen. Yes, I think that is exactly what we are supposed to get from him. Okay, BJ got a question. Um, several. Uh, but I think the one that I'm going to ask is: it seems like there is uh extra magic uh, leakage from unforgivable curses that sort of other wizards know that they happen or is that something that like I'm making up so like I feel like death curses and and things like that like other wizards know that that's being cast like somewhere Hmm. even if they're not like directly in the presence of it because otherwise like how would anybody know what happened to Harry's parents and Harry other than, like, something happened and Voldemort, like, ended up not being in power? Or was, like, everybody there and watching it? Because that would be really funny. (laughs) So I think that... I I don't think there's... I I actually don't think there's, like, a sense of the Unforgivable Curses being... I don't think that's, like, a radio wave that you would pick up on as a wizard, like, somewhere in the vicinity or something, or even not, or something like that. Um, Okay. My impression with... Harry's parents particularly is it was known that Voldemort was after them. Mm -hmm. Um, Voldemort disappeared and Harry was alive at the end of it with this Mm -hmm. scar. Uh, And Voldemort is just, is one is, is just a wizard who is known for just using the killing curse all the time. Um, It also like, so he just sort of starts blasting. Yeah. And it is, like, it's just one of those things where, like, if you die from the killing curse, like, you were just dead with no mark on your body or anything like that. So, like, mm-hmm. I did, I think it's context clues, not um, gotcha. some sort of, like, indication out in the ether that these curses have been used. Um, so, there, so part of the reason that, like, I was asking this is, like, there also seems to be, if magic in the world happens, mm-hmm. the Ministry of Magic knows about it. And so many people seem to know, like, kind of exactly what happened to Harry. I feel I sort of was piecing together that, like, this might have come together. Mm -hmm. And now Moody is just tossing Imperios around like it's going out of business, (laughs) uh, going out of style. Mm -hmm. Uh, Man, whichever person of the Ministry of Magic is watching the gauges for that particular day is getting a lot of weird reports he's having to file now. I feel like Dumbledore has some uh, spells around Hogwarts to make sure that the Ministry is not actually able to watch what is going on and watch the gauges that are... (laughs) Otherwise, they're calling the FBI. It's like, there's a full-on attack occurring Uh at Hogwarts right now. Just on the daily. Um, and then sort of a follow-up to that, if that's not the case, so, like, how mutable are these spells? Because clearly, or maybe not clearly, but it seems like the curses aren't, like, spells aren't always as strong as they can possibly be, and mm-hmm. that's some that seems to sort of be under the control of the user. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but my presumption is the gilding curse, like, you can do it lightly, but what? <laughs> I, don't, I, yeah. I can't imagine you could do a light nuke. Well, it's always going to be a nuke. No, 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 but, like, it, they said that, like, you know, if any of one of you, like, tosses that curse at me, the most that's going to happen is I'll get a bloody nose, mm-hmm. and I don't care. Is that the curse not really successfully going off? Or is that a suggestion that there's different levels of the... Sarah, help us, please. I think it, I think that is actually an indication of the curse not properly going off. I think that, like, if you are capable of doing the curse, it is a yes or no. Can you turn random things into fuzzy animals to put in between you and the killing curse? Oh God, it's the ultimate shield. It's transfiguration. <laughs> oh, boy. We got a lot of pin cushions. You just keep a stash of pin cushions. You're turning back into hedgehogs to... Mm-hmm. throw in front of you oh man this is how moody actually lost his eyes that w- the c- killing curse was coming and he just threw out a collection of snuff boxes and transferred in the last second but there was a gap where it partially came through i guess i can't see a reason why that wouldn't work <laughs> but i hate it <laughs> another moody question from there actually mm-hmm. um how much should we trust him when he always his, def- his default response to any questioning of his methods is, Dumbledore wants me to do this. <laughs> Has he ever actually talked to Dumbledore in his life, ever? <laughs> Unclear. I'm not sure we ever actually get the answer to any of these questions. <laughs> we learn a lot about oh, Moody God. going forward, but I'm not sure whether his lesson plans were Dumbledore approved is ever actually known. <laughs> Man, the- this would be a great final lesson if it's revealed. He actually has no authority to be here at all. He's just acting like he owns the room. <laughs> nobody wants to ask him why he's there. And nobody would be angrier than Snape. <laughs> That's honestly enough for me. As you said, it was... It's a chapter where a few things happen, but there were honestly large transitions happening between them. It's, it's a pretty big setup chapter to kind of get us to our next chapter, the Goblet of the Fire. Chapter. This seems... A- a key chapter for this book. I can't hesitate to guess <laughs> why. Um, Hazard again. Yes. So we have uh, finally got, finally gotten to the namesake of the book. Uh, and yeah. it, it appears to be a long one too. Good luck, Sarah. Oh yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff happens in this one. Is the goblet of fire wood? It does look like it. It looks very. Wood. I don't think it's wood. It's it is certainly not wood in the movies. I wonder if it's actually that, described either... as wood. That's either wood or that is stone that is made to resemble wood. It could be petrified wood. Mm-hmm. Little column A, column B. Mm-hmm. Oh, it does say. I have, I have flipped forward and um, Dumbledore reached inside it and pulled out a large, roughly hewn wooden cup. There you <laughs> are. Okay, well. well that's why it's on fire. <laughs> the, goblet of a, the goblet of a carpenter. Um, well, y'all, I, I'm very much looking forward to this chapter to find out what the hell this book is actually about. But until then... I'm not um, so sure we'll find out next chapter, but I'm excited to read it with you guys. Let me always have my forlorn hope speech. It's how I keep going. Till then, y'all. Bye, guys.